Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our study of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. What we've been doing the last uh, number of weeks in our Ephesians series is we've been learning who we now are in Jesus Christ. What Paul has been doing from the very first chapter of Ephesians is he's been telling us, because of the grace of Christ, you are fundamentally a new person. You were chosen by God. You, you're now adopted into God's family. You are now uh, have redemption. You've been freed from the marketplace of sin. And now you have the power to live a new life. You've been made alive with God. You were once were dead, but now you've been made alive. You've been resurrected with God. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. All of these blessings Paul has been, been, been uh, describing that the, this is now who we are in Jesus Christ. And last week, as Pastor Andrew uh, preached to us, he, Paul begins to, to move into a different, a, a different stream. He began to show us that not only are we new individually, but we are new corporately. We, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a new corporate, a new uh, collective identity that we need to grab a hold of. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. It is so crucial that we understand not only our new identity individually, but the new identity we share together as believers in Jesus Christ. And I think if we're honest, we need to understand that we, we're going to have a harder time dealing with this, I think. Because many of us grew up in North America where we value the individual over the group. We believe in individual rights. We believe in individual freedom. We believe uh, in, in, in what's good for me. We think in terms of us individually, not a group. What Paul is going to be describing to us in this text this morning is that we are new and different and have a new identity collectively as members of the body of Christ. And we need to grab a hold of that. I think another problem we're going to have with, with this text is that we, we tend to view the church as something we do. I go to church. Well, you know, some of us go. I know some of you, you're at home, but you're going to church while you're online. We go to church. I, I go to this meeting. I go to service. But what, <laughs> what Paul is trying to help us understand is it's not simply what we do. This is who we are. We have a new collective, corporate, group identity through the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ. And something we need to get a handle on, something we need to understand, something we need to believe, and then we need to live out of this new identity. So what I want us to describe to us today from this text, this great text we've just read, is I want us to see four privileges, four privileges that we have because of Christ. These are privileges we don't earn. These are privileges we don't deserve. These are privileges we don't work for. They are true of you. When God brings you to himself, when you put your faith and confidence in Christ alone, when the spirit of God puts you into the body of Christ, these privileges become yours. And they're yours even if you don't live out of those privileges too well. They're still yours. They're still ours. 
We need to see these so that we can live out of them. Let's look at the first privilege and we'll look at it in verse 18. Paul tells the astounding truth. Again, we looked at this last week, but he says, for through him, through Jesus, we both, again, he's referring back to Jews and Gentiles. We both have access in one spirit to the father. The first privilege is we all, those of us who know Christ, have access to God the Father. Now, what should have happened is when I said that, you should have said amen or it's like, I can't believe it because it's amazing to think about this. We, the ones who used to be dead in our trespass and sins, the ones who were trapped by the world, the flesh and the evil one, we now have access. We now are able to go into the presence of the father and not be destroyed. Now, it's interesting, he, 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 he talks about, you know, we, we both, right? For through him, we both have access. Again, if, we, if you remember last week when, when Pastor Andrew talked about the fact that Jesus Christ provides peace between Jew and Gentile, abolishing the wall of hostility, he reminded us that Gentiles were not even allowed to go into, into, into very deeply into the, the, the courtyard of the temple. There was a literal wall, not simply the law of Moses. But if you think about it, even if you were Jewish, you didn't run into the Holy of Holies. In fact, only one Jewish individual, the high priest, came into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. There was a distance there. I'm not saying God wasn't personal. He was. But the astounding reality for us as believers in Jesus Christ together is that we now have access to the Father. Jesus Christ provides us the basis of that access because our sins were placed on Jesus. God dealt with them on the cross. Jesus gives us his righteousness so we can go into the presence of the Father. And it's the Spirit of God who brings us into the body of Christ, who gives us this privilege together with all believers. And now we together can come into the presence of God right before the throne of Christ, right into the Holy of Holies, so to speak, and speak directly to Father God. It's incredible. It's an amazing privilege. And it's ours together. We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So a number of years ago, I had three small children at the time. We were flying back to New Jersey from Oklahoma City for Christmas. And uh, we get, got to St. Louis and uh, there was a snowstorm. We got planes were delayed. Uh, it was not good having three young children in an airport, not great. Hour after hour went on. I think they felt sorry for us. And so when they finally got a flight ready, which was many, many hours in St. Louis airport, longer than I ever wanted to stay in St. Louis or in that airport. They put us in first class. And this was the first time I had ever been in first class. It was the first time my kids had been in first class. And they reveled in it. We got on the plane first. My sons had orange juices they gave us, bigger seats. 
And they begin to revel in this. And my middle son, Austin, as he began to see the glory of this new privilege that he had never experienced before, as people begin to file through first class on the way back to, you know, the, the cattle car in the back of the plane, my son began to tell everyone, we're in first class and you're not. We're in first class, you're not. And most everyone was just laughed and said, oh, he's so cute. And they, went, they talked to the niece and said, is this your son? And my wife actually said, no, he's not. <laughs> well, my son really reveled in his new privilege. Do we? We together, this is not just an individual thing. Now, it's true. Individually, you can go into the throne of grace. You can go right to the Father. You have access through the Spirit of God who's placed you into the body of Christ based on what Christ has done for you that allows you that access. That is absolutely true. But this is a corporate identity. This is a collective identity. For through him, we both, Jews and Gentiles, no matter who you are in the body of Christ, we together have this glorious privilege to go directly to God in prayer. And the issue, I, I, I guess I'd just like to ask is, do you take advantage of that privilege? Do you see it as a privilege? Do you take that for granted, so to speak? Has it become so commonplace that you say, oh yeah, I can pray? And the reality is, most of us, if we're honest, we have this incredible privilege. But how often do we do it? Of course, it's not simply our private prayer life that I think Paul is driving at. What about the corporate, collective, group prayer effort? I think what Paul would say to us, Since we have this incredible access, another way to put access is we've gained introduction to the Father through Christ by the Spirit. I guess I would ask us is, are we reveling, enjoying, and practicing this privilege in ways that manifest that we truly understand the glory of this privilege? where we're actually praying together with God's people, enjoying the access we both now have through Jesus by the Spirit. I encourage you to take a look at Acts 1 through 6 this afternoon. If you want to read something interesting about corporate prayer, you read Acts 1 through 6, and you will see the early church as it begins to expand, as it begins to experience challenges. It's in the corporate prayer meeting uh, uh, described by, by Luke as he writes the book of Acts and gives us this history of the early church. It is the corporate prayer meeting where things begin to happen, where the power of God is unleashed. That doesn't mean you have to come to our Tuesday night prayer call, but I I would suggest maybe you should. Okay? This is not a commercial necessarily for that, but there is something about praying with God's people. There's something about acknowledging and manifesting. We have, we have this privilege. 
We both, Jews and Gentiles, no matter who we are, no matter where we've come from, we together enjoy this privilege. And when we manifest that privilege together in prayer, when we manifest that we have access to God, not because of our greatness, because of Christ, when we manifest this, this, this access to God through prayer together with God's people, we're demonstrating that we understand, believe, and are reveling in this incredible privilege that God has given us. You don't have to be on Tuesday. I know some of you are busy Tuesday night. But praying together with God's people in your family, but but, but in the church, it's, it's critical that you be praying with God's people because that is the privilege we have been given through Jesus Christ by his Spirit. And I must tell you, I nothing in our country uh, is, is grabbing me these days, okay? Again, I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for many of the blessings. But what I see going on in, in the political realm, what I see going on with COVID-19, when I see all the hurting people, I'm going to tell you what, the hour of the week I felt best about life was when I was praying with you all, when we prayed together. And we were glorying and reveling and practicing the access we have to God the Father together as this text says. That's the first privilege. Let's look at the second privilege. The second privilege, verse 19 says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's reminding them what, he, what, what they were before. But before the Gentiles were, were aliens and strangers to the covenant of promise. But now you are fellow citizens with the saints. This is the second privilege here. We are fellow citizens of God's kingdom. This is not true for you individually. It's true for us corporately. All those who know Christ, what Paul says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. This word citizen is a word that describes a political or, or, or in, in some sense, a, a geographical region that is under the control of someone. What it's saying is, I think, is that we, as God's people, together belong to a different country. We belong to a different kingdom. Christ's kingdom, his kingdom, his rule, his reign, that fundamentally, collectively, we are fellow citizens with all of the other saints and form this new entity, this new, new, new rule and reign, the rule and reign of Christ. And it means this is part of our corporate and fundamental identity of who we all are, those of us who know Christ. Scripture says it all in all kinds of different ways. He says we're strangers and sojourners in this world. Why? This world fundamentally is not the primary corporate identity we should be, be by identifying with. It means that even our national country that we belong to or our, our country of origin is not fundamentally the main entity corporately that we are a part of. Our fundamental identity corporately together as God's people is in his kingdom as citizens with the rest of God's God's people. I think one of the, maybe the positive developments in our country, if you've 
been, been awake the last couple of years. Certainly the last couple of weeks ought to disabuse you of the notion that it's a good idea to put your identity in this country as your primary corporate identity for your life. It's not stable. Denise and I were in, uh, we were overseas. We're actually in Munich, Germany. And um, we had lived overseas for a while, so we got kind of confident that we could navigate, you know, the train station pretty well. And we were going to take a train from Munich to Nuremberg. So we got to the train. I got a ticket. I saw the, uh, you know, saw where we're supposed to go, what track we're supposed to go. And uh, I realized, oh my, oh my word, we're, we've almost missed the train. And so we look up there, we get on track one, we jump onto this train to Nuremberg and about as soon as we got on, the train starts to go. And what was weird is there was nobody else on the train. Begin to walk down car after car. There's nobody on this thing. I started to wonder. Got a little too confident, didn't I? My Germans, nowhere. Well, we begin to go and uh, nobody's on this train. I'm on a ghost train somewhere north of Munich. I don't know where we are. I don't know really where we're going. And I remember just laying my head down going, oh, didn't I? and at that moment I realized I'm not in America anymore. I'm not in my own country. We finally figured out that maybe we could ring for service. Although I didn't know if anyone was on the train. I wasn't even sure. I thought it might be a ghost train actually just going. I put the service button and I said, hi. And I, this is wrong. But I said, I'm a stupid American. I think I'm on the wrong train. Um, I, I, I'm trying to go to Nuremberg. I don't think we are going to Nuremberg. Can someone help us? Silence for about 30 seconds. And then a voice came on. Very uh, kind of an ominous voice. This train is not going to Nuremberg. Okay. I thought so. I said, well, it, 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 it just, where is this train going? You know, that's my next, where is the train going? And can we get off anytime soon? 30 seconds later, this train is not going to Nuremberg. Finally, the train stopped but the doors don't open. We're in the middle of a service area where they service the trains. Finally, someone in the train saw that we were in the train, some, some guy in the, in the train yard and goes, you know, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing in there? And he got us out. And we got out. But in that moment, I think Denise and I felt we're not in our home country. We felt terribly uncomfortable. We were lost, didn't know what to do beside ourselves. And I think the problem for some of us is that's not our problem on this earth. That's not our problem here in the United States. The problem is we're a little too comfortable with where we are. We're a little bit too invested. And again, I'm not saying we have gospel responsibilities to our country. We have to pray for our leaders. We need to respect our leaders. We need to be involved in making this place better in all kinds of different ways. We certainly have many responsibilities, but this is not our true home. This is not where we should derive our collective identity from. The collective identity that Paul is talking about 
is that we are fellow citizens with the saints. We are part of a different kingdom, a different organization. And in some sense, what probably needs to happen for us, if we were able to grab a hold of this new corporate identity, that this is the the collective identity that we share as believers in Jesus Christ, if we grabbed hold of that a little more consistently, a little more comprehensively, we probably would find ourselves a little more uncomfortable in this present world that we live in. Because we would be looking at a different identity That's the second privilege. The third privilege in verse 19 as well. We're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And then here's the third privilege. We are members of the household of God. Because of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross, because of the grace that he's poured out on us, we now have a new family. We are a family. (laughs) We're a family. You're all going, really? Oh, Oh, boy. It's worse than I thought. We're family. We have gospel responsibilities to one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. This this figure is is a warm picture of the kind of relationships that, that that should mark us. In a, in a healthy family, and I know some of you didn't come from healthy families. I, I'm sorry about that. But in a healthy family, the family sacrifices for one another. In a healthy family, they discuss things with one another. In a healthy family, they resolve conflict with one another. In a healthy family, they support one another through thick and thin. There's relationships, deep abiding relationships. And that's what should mark us. The reality is, this is true of us. Whether or not we're living this out real well, it is still true. We are members of God's household. That is who we are. And we need to view it that way. The church isn't just something I go to once a week. It's your identity. It's your new identity. It's how you need to to view yourself. You're not just an individual trying to get help so that you can do better in your personal spiritual life. You are an individual who's been put into God's household so that, yes, you can be helped and you can grow in Christ, but so that you can help everyone else in the family grow in Christ. And of course, even in our human families, we don't always do too well, do we? I tried to be a good big brother. I took my sister to her driver's test. I practiced with her, actually. And I wanted to be the supportive, caring brother. She was very nervous. I took her to the driving test. She got in the car with the, you know, the, 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 the instructor, and they went off on the little course there they had out in Texas. And she did, she looked like she was doing great. I was so excited for her. And then she had to parallel park, which is not too, about 30 yards from where I was sitting. My sister parked the car, but it was not a parallel parking thing. It was, she perpendicularly parked. And 
Now, I actually worked on this. I, I said, I've got, to, I've got to somehow care for her because she's failed the task for sure. When she comes back, when I drive her home, I, I've got to care for her. I, I've, got to, I've got to love her. I've got to support her. But she perpendicularly parked. I bet I couldn't believe it. She got into the car and I held it together for 30 seconds. And then I just burst out laughing. You perpendicularly parked. Oh my goodness. That was crazy. That's not good big brothering right there. That's bad. We are part of the household of God. We didn't earn our way in. We didn't do anything to get in. He put us in here. And these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And your brothers and sisters in Christ, some of them are in their living rooms right now. You have gospel responsibilities to your new family. There is a responsibility to be a healthy family, to love each other, to care for each other, to support each other, particularly when things go wrong. To be there, even when a, a fellow brother or sister in Christ fails miserably, we ought to be there with them, to walk with them, to, to, to encourage them, to, to pull them through. That's who we are. That's who we need to be. That's the third privilege. We're members of God's household. Lastly, and this is, we could have spent the whole sermon on this. I, I, these next two, three verses are incredible. Because what it says to us, the fourth privilege, is that we, we are God's temple. I love it. I know you were looking at me. It's hard to tell with your mask. It's like you're looking at me going, really? No, we are. Let's look at what it says in verse 20. It says, (coughs) these new corporate realities... We're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. We've been singing about that and hearing about that all morning. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is the keystone that keeps the foundation on track. And on top of Jesus, these apostles and prophets came and they spoke the gospel and they spoke the truth about who Christ was and began to build this foundation. This foundation, the apostles and prophets built on the foundation of Christ. And then He is the cornerstone. And then verse 21 and 22, this is amazing thoughts. It says, in whom, in Jesus, the whole structure, talking about us, being joined together. In other words, we're joined together. We're fitted together. We we all take our place fitted together just as Jesus Christ would want us to fit together. We're joined together, and and then we're growing. We're 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 extending this this structure. We're we're growing deeper in our knowledge of Christ, but we're also extending the reputation of Christ when we see new people come into this temple, into a holy temple in the Lord. Then he goes on to say, "In Him, in Jesus, you also are being built together." So he's building us together. Each of us has an incredibly important part into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, this is crazy. He's not talking about our our, our church building. He's talking about us, we, the different pieces and parts of the building. He's talking about the fact that God is knitting us together 
fitting us together exactly the right way, working in us, guiding us, bringing us together so that we, as God's people, would be the dwelling place of God, where God himself would dwell in us, in us collectively, a place where God would be here by the Spirit of God, a place that would display the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God, who he is, what he's done, would be in us. And we're called a temple. And I, I got to be honest with you. I, I, I need to confess, all right? I mean, I've, I've, I've one week of being the senior pastor, I already have to confess sin. I, I have to confess sin every week, actually, but... A lot of times when I talk about the church, I'm concerned that we're not arrogant as the church. I'm concerned that we realize that we're not in the church because we've done a lot of good things to get in. That, that it's all by grace. That we're a bunch of sinners bumping into each other and that makes it difficult. I've, I've said that a hundred thousand times, okay, the last 23 years here. And, and that's all true. But there's another aspect of the church that these verses indicate. They don't undermine the fact that we are sinners and that we're all here by the grace of God and we sometimes struggle and fail. But these verses elevate the new identity corporately that we have that we need to get a handle on. We're not only a group of sinners bumping into each other and struggling. We are being built up together as the dwelling place of God. We are the temple that he's growing together, building this whole structure together based on the teaching of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, the, 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 the cornerstone. We are the temple where God dwells today. And when we see that, when we understand that, when we, we internalize that, it'll change the way you view this church, not the building, but how we view each other. See, when we're interfacing with each other, you're not just interfacing with some fellow sinner. Yes, you are here, but, but you're, you're interfacing with someone who is being fitted together to become an integral and important piece of the temple that God is building here. When you think about yourself, you're not just some sinner who's, you know, I go to church and I'm, I'm, I'm trying the best I can. You, if you know Christ is your savior, you are being fitted together by God himself. You are a vital part of this temple that God is b building and developing and, 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 and working on, fashioning, directing it. You are part and a, a crucial part to be this place where God dwells so that the church displays the beauty and glory of God to the world because we are his temple. And again, all of these privileges. We all have access to God, the Father. We are all fellow citizens of God's kingdom. We are all members of God's household. We are, we are together God's temple. All of these blessings, all of these identities, all of these privileges were given to us by the grace of God. All of these privileges were, 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 were lovingly and graciously bestowed upon us. 
We don't work for them. We don't earn them. They don't cease to become true even if we don't act well in the family. They don't cease to exist even if I uh, forget that, 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 that this, this country that I live in or, or this world that I live in is really not my true home. It, it doesn't cease to exist if I struggle a little bit with believing that the church is God's temple. It doesn't mean that if I don't pray like I ought to and I don't pray with other believers based on the privilege I have, the privileges are still true about you. They are part of your new corporate identity. We need to hold on to these. And understand that this is who we are together by grace. Because if we see ourselves the way God sees us, if we see and believe what God says about us, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, if we understand who we are and believe who we are, we will begin to treat one another consistently with who we believe the whole church is about. We will begin to see ourselves as a vital part of the greatest rescue effort that the world has ever seen, the rescue of people in redemption through Jesus Christ. One last thing, if you go back up to verse 17, it says, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off. Well, this would be the Gentiles, all right, technically. And he preached peace to those who were near, the Jewish people. I think it's interesting in a corporate context. Yes, I think Jesus preached peace in the sense, how do I have peace with God? It all comes through Jesus. But I think he's also talking about the peace that can, that can only be had with one another. It's peace with God, but peace with one another. And I think what Paul is trying to say, it's in God's temple. It's in Christ's kingdom. It's in the household of God. It's, it's, it's because we have access together through Jesus Christ. It's because of the corporate identity that we have. This is how God is going to change the world. This is how the world is going to have peace with God, but peace with, with one another. What that means is it's the church. It's the temple. It, it, it's it's, the, it's the, the kingdom where God is focusing most of his attention to, to redeem the world from its lack of peace with God and the lack of peace with one another. We are on the critical front lines of God's redemption for the universe. And it's right here, right here at Stonehill Church. And we need to believe that. And then act on it. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for these word, Lord, about us. Thank you for what you say about us collectively as the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to believe these realities and then act on them, act more consistent with who we already are together. Whether that's demonstrating having access to the Father together in prayer, in groups of two or three in our small groups and corporately, whether it's understanding that this world and this country is not our true home, we belong to a different kingdom, whether we need to believe and understand that we are family, we're not just a place to go on Sundays or a a live stream to look at, we are a family 
part of the household of God. And, and, and Lord, help us to remember that, that in spite of our sin and in spite of uh, the, the things that we do wrong and in spite of our failings as a church, both individually and corporately, we are your temple. We are the dwelling place of God. Help us to believe it and act on that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.